may be seated. Before I start, did anybody else find that Daniel reading just really weird? <laughs> On All Saints Day? Anyway. Sorry. Don't you hate it when people you don't like tell you the truth? Meryl Streep was once one of these people for me. I mean, I like Meryl Streep. But when she played that devil named Miranda who wore Prada, we kind of knew we were allowed not to like her from the get-go. But there's a scene in which she delivers a little speech to her second assistant, a little frumpy, stridently disinterested in fashion woman named Andy, played by Anne Hathaway. And I think this speech is the truth. It might just be encroaching on one of those great big capital T truths about us all. Maybe you remember it. Andy is dutifully taking notes as outfits, I probably shouldn't say outfits, should I? As ensembles are being put together. <laughs> for a fashion shoot, and when another nervous assistant holds up two seemingly identical belts from which Miranda Priestley might choose, Andy snorts at the absurdity of the apparent gravity of this choice. Miranda hears her, stops the show, and asks what Andy finds so funny. She apologizes, of course, says, says the belts just look the same to her and that she's still trying to learn about all this stuff. This stuff, says Miranda Priestley with that snarl. Oh, okay, I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. You go to your closet and you select out, oh, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back. But what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue, it's not turquoise, it's not lapis, it's actually cerulean. You're also blindly unaware of the fact that in 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns. And then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who showed cerulean military jackets. And then cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. Then it filtered down through the department stores and then trickled down into some tragic casual corner where you, no doubt, fished it out of some clearance bin. <laughs> However, that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And so it's sort of comical how you think you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact, you're wearing the sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Ardell reminded me of the scene just this week. We were sitting in the living room and I'd been reading a book by James Allison titled Raising Abel, great title, right? He's coming to the Lenten Preaching Series next year, by the way. Do come hear him. Anyway, Ardell reminded me of the scene because I just gifted her with a synopsis and maybe even a whole page or two of what I'd been reading over on the other side of the room. Don't you wish you were married to a preacher? I was reading about something called mimetic desire. And the theory is roughly this. We humans share a common illusion. The illusion is that what we desire, what we want, what we love, what we like, this is something deeply intrinsic to our individual selves. It's the sense that what I desire comes from someplace deep within me and to be authentic is to be true to those pure desires and invulnerable to the opinions of other people. Sounds familiar. 
Don't we share this sense of what authenticity is and why we should all strive for it, whether we're a 14-year-old resisting peer pressure or a fashion editor's assistant who wants to expose a vicious industry's cruelties and excesses. Our most authentic identity, in other words, is something we need to defend against the desires and opinions of other people. Think different went the ad campaign of a certain company you might know who would exploit our desire for uniqueness to put an iPhone in the pockets of nearly a billion human beings, though, reassuring each one of us of our hip individuality as they did. James Allison, and he's building on the work of a man named Rene Girard, Allison says that what Apple understands very well, that we learn what we want by mimicking other people, but we like to think we think different. But James Allison doesn't want to use this insight to sell us something. He wants us to use it to discover the liberating core of the Christian good news. And part of that good news is not that each one of us is unique way deep down. It's that God has connected us all in the most intimate of ways, even down at the level of our desires. James Allison will have much more to say about how badly things go in this world when we deny the true sources of our desires and begin defending ourselves against the idea that we're not unique and independent in our essential selves. He'll show how when these identities are threatened, human societies will descend into rivalries and then violence, violence that goes searching for a scapegoat, a scapegoat that, no one complete, that on one completely disruptive occasion we hung on a cross, but that's material for other sermons, other days. Suffice it to say that the consequences of our illusions can be all too real in the world. Perhaps on this All Saints Sunday, though, it's enough just to see this need to make peace with the truth that our lives, even our deepest desires and identities, are really not our own. And that faith has never been an individual affair. It is to use the words of St. Paul, an inheritance. In Christ we have, we have also obtained an inheritance, he wrote to the Ephesians, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and his will. Oh, how I bristle at those references to something essential in me having been destined, or that the way things are in the world might be the result of someone else's counsel and someone else's will even God's, even the communion of God's saints. But the wisdom of All Saints Day is that our lives have never been our own. In fact, we've received the essence of our identities, the wounds as well as the wonders, even our wants, from all these other people over time. The question that might haunt us, though, is this one. If I discover even my desire, learn even my desires from other people. If even what I love is not really essential and original to me, then who in the world am I? To this question, especially for a theologian, James Allison once gave an interviewer an astonishingly simple and clear reply. He said, what is essentially you is your body. In your body, you are entirely different from anybody else. 
No one else, not even your twin if you had one, has exactly the same physical body as you, born at the exact same time, occupying the exact same physical space, occupying that same set of relationships. He said what we have to recover is that actually our desires are what make us alike. It it is our bodies that make us all different. And so I put this to you on All Saints Sunday. That this is a day on which we often speak only of the souls and the spirits of those who've gone before us. But today, let's celebrate the embodied departed in all their splendid differences. For if you and I have learned to love it all, it's been through the very much physical lives of other children of God. People of all shapes and sizes and colors. People of bodies with various abilities and disabilities, bodies we've loved and envied, bodies we've held on to and let go of, bodies that have held on to us at times. This brilliant array of visible human uniqueness, these are the ones we've learned to love by imitating. And this truth about ourselves doesn't make us less. It makes us so much more. After all, any communion at all is more than one, is it not? Friends, the great cloud of witnesses we celebrate today is a community of flesh and bones back across the centuries from whom we've learned even our desires. People who've shaped our love not only for that favorite lumpy blue cerulean sweater, but the deepest parts of our hearts as well. It is our bodies that make us different. Our desires are what make us alike, interconnected, needful of one another in order to be whole. If we'll make this essential peace with ourselves, then the communion of saints we actually call the body of Christ can continue to shape the parts of ourselves that really can be changed and expanded and healed. The body of Christ can still shape our loves a little more into the likeness of Jesus as over time. And in the process, We may find our whole selves a little less alone in this world and maybe a little less violent to those around us as we do. I'll leave you you with maybe an unorthodox and unexpected vision of what discovering one's identity as member of a body, a body of Christ, might actually feel like. I won't ask you to go put on looser clothing and roll out your yoga mats just yet. But our daughter recently wrote a paper on adolescence. Unsurprisingly, the paper had a lot to say about what it means to become at home in one's body. But surprisingly, perhaps, she ended it not with more explanations and references and footnotes, but with a yoga sequence. Typed out, pose by pose, for a few pages. Because this is how she came to be ever more at home in the one and only body God made to be only her. And here's how it ended. Gently return to your surroundings. Return to your senses, wiggling fingers and toes, noticing the sounds and smells and tastes of this space. Remember then that you too are part of this space. As you're ready, lift yourself back up into a cross-legged seat. Bow your head to your heart prayer hands at your chest if you like and send gratitude to all the people in this space for practicing today remember that you are one of these people 
Know that you are ready to carry this gratitude out into the world with you. Just as other people give you life, you too give other people life. A blessed All Saints Day to all you embodied and beloved saints of God. And thanks be to God for the saints now gone on whose lives and loves have made us all so. Amen.